or Jonathan has prayed us in. I, I, I want to, brothers, just again, we're, we're the focus today. The Lord's the focus, but the Lord would meet with us today. And I don't want you to dread this. I, I, I understand growth can hurt. I get that. Growth can hurt, but I'd rather hurt and grow than be comfortable and not grow. And so it takes some mirror moments. So we're probably having some mirror moments uh, this week, brothers, and last week. And, and when we talk about parenting fa- uh, fathers, we're going to be talking to you a lot as well. That's okay. Embrace it. Don't run from that. Don't, don't get mad at me. <laughs> Embrace it, right? Embrace it. You want to get better. I want to begin today by getting us off the ground with a story from 2003 in North Carolina, a man by the name of Brian Shipwash. What a last name, huh? Uh, him and his girlfriend, they were riding his motorcycle up Pilot Mountain in North Carolina, and he was riding on the wrong side of the road, and he hits a curve and collides with an oncoming pickup truck. He was knocked off of his bike, so was his girlfriend, and they went flying in the air, and then when the bike landed, the bike landed on him, and one of the handlebars was lodged about six inches into his abdomen. And so, of course, his friends who were riding with him and witnesses, they rushed to his assistance to, to help him, and they pulled the handlebars out, and then he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a box, bloody box that had been mangled from the accident, but inside that box was a beautiful diamond ring that was untouched. And he says to his girlfriend, I know this is not ideal, but will you marry me? Lying on the pavement with a broken leg, a broken arm, a punctured abdomen, in front of reporters and witnesses. And of course, she was already crying because of the accident, but Now her crying goes next level with the proposal. And of course she said yes. Now, I don't know if they lived happily ever after. This was 2003. I understand that things happen. Where I am going, though, brothers, is I can promise you in that moment, that woman felt like the most special woman on the planet. I am certain that she felt so very esteemed I'm sure she felt significant and important. I'm sure she felt built up that here's a man who thinks this much of me that he's lying in pain on the pavement. And yet he is only thinking about making me his bride. That's a nice segue into Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. In terms of our first area of focus today, Ephesians 5.28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." Brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ nourishes his bride, the church. And loving husbands do the same. This word nourisheth, it means to rear up or raise up to maturity. 
Wow. The loving husband is all about that. He is preoccupied with seeing his wife mature, grow, develop in every area of life. Like he is focused on it. How can she get better? How can she grow? How can she please God more? He desires that. And here's how he knows what she needs to develop. Here's how he knows what she needs to take that next step. It's found in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, here it is, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. This is what the loving husband does. He dwells with his wife according to knowledge. That is, listen, the loving husband knows his wife. He knows her. Listen, every loving husband, listen, brothers, every, every loving husband is an exceptional student of his wife. He studies her. He monitors her. He guards her. He watches her constantly. He is always preoccupied with how can he stoke the fires? How can he create an atmosphere where she can blossom in the Lord? He's very detailed in how he pays attention to his wife. He, listen, brothers, he is, oh boy, hang with me here, guys. Listen, he is not only attentive to her at bedtime. That is not when his interest peaks in her. No, his interest is peaked <laughs> before bedtime and during the day. He studies his bride with an eye on her growth. Listen, the loving husband develops his wife. He develops his wife. That is, he causes his wife to grow and become more mature. This is very, very critical. This is the outcome of the husband who, listen, is directing his wife, dying for his wife, and dedicating his wife. That type of woman who is married to that type of man, she's going to blossom in the Lord. If he's directing her, dying for her, and dedicating her to the word of God, he's going to know very well where she's at and what she needs to take that next step. Brothers, this is critical. A man's love for God and his wife has a developmental effect on his wife. It causes her to move spiritually, causes her to move emotionally, it causes her to move intellectually. This moves her to say, I want to know God like you. I want a relationship with God like you. I want to love the word of God like you. I don't want to be content with who I am and where I am. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to move. You know what? I want to keep up with you. <laughs> I don't want you to leave me behind spiritually. Boy, if I can say this, may it not be your wife. But one of the saddest observations in the church 
I do mean sad, because I've seen it so many times, is the regression of a wife. That will tear your heart out. It's one of the saddest observations. I've seen women possess a godly radiance before they got married. They were single, and they were satisfied, and they were serving the Lord with joy and faithfulness and passion and conviction, and they were being used of God. And, I mean, you're, you're saying, yes, look, man, praise God. And then they get married. They marry some guy, and years into the marriage, that, that holy radiance that godly glow has been exchanged for a countenance of death. You see it. It's not that she's physically unattractive. It's not what I'm saying. It's that she married this guy, and instead of developing in the Lord, she is regressing. Everything that God had for her she realizes it's a pipe dream now. I will never get there under this man. She's not developing. She's going backwards because of his words and his ways. They don't provoke her to grow. They crush her spirit. The loving husband is preoccupied with his wife becoming a better woman. Sweetheart, it's my heart. I want you to be better for the Lord. I want him to get as much glory out of your life that he can get. I'm not preoccupied with what I think you can and should be doing for me to make my life better. Praise the Lord if, for that. But, but more than anything, I want God to be glorified in and through your life. But for that to happen, he himself must become a better man. If you're not growing, why would you ever expect your wife to? Listen, the regression of a wife is usually the result of the regression of the husband. The loving husband understands that the more he grows, the more room his wife has to grow. This is why, brothers, you always want to be growing, because once you stop, you have not only put a cap over yourself, but you've also placed a cap over your wife. Because if you're here and her heart is to go here, here's what's going to happen. Every time she tries to go past you, it just, she just keeps getting bounced back down and she's frustrated. She's frustrated. Hear this. Marriage takes a turn, I do mean for the absolute worst. Marriage takes a turn for the absolute worst when growth ceases when husbands in particular stop growing, that's when marriage takes a hard left turn. Hear this. When husbands stop growing, wives start dying. When husbands stop growing, 
wives start dying. The loving husband develops his wife. The loving husband also, we read in this verse that he cherishes his wife. And this word cherishes, it has in view the brooding process of a mother bird who sits on and incubates her eggs day and night, and she only leaves them once a day, once a day, to eat and drink and go to the restroom, whatever that looks like for a mother bird. I didn't grow up on a farm, sorry, I grew up in a city with buses and smog. How about that? But you know what? If you try and remove her from her eggs, you know what she'll do? She'll hiss at you. Even try and peck you. What a picture for us, brothers, because listen, the loving husband defends his wife. And this word defend, it's a synonym of the word protect. Eggs are delicate. Wives are the weaker, not inferior vessel. But brothers, they are delicate. They are delicate. And they are priceless what, what eggs are to the mother bird in terms of, I mean, you mess with these eggs and you got problems. It's how a man ought to view his wife. She's delicate and priceless, and I've got to defend her. First Peter Heaven tells us, giving honor <laughs> unto the wife. You know what we do, brothers, when we give honor unto our wives? It means that we place a value on them. A very, very high one. She's priceless. Invaluable. Like putting a price on the Mona Lisa painted by Leonardo da Vinci. It's nearly impossible. It was insured in 1962 for $100 million. Today that would be equivalent to about $700 million U.S. dollars. It is highly guarded at all times in the museum in Paris. I mean, there are cameras that are set on every person around that painting, and rumor has it that the original painting is not even on display all the time. They take extreme measures to defend or protect that painting. It's enclosed in a bulletproof glass. Somebody thinks it's worth something. We protect and defend what is priceless and delicate, don't we? This is why the chiefs are spending the money they're spending to protect Patrick Mahomes because he's pretty valuable, at least in their estimation, and probably ours as Chiefs fans. Brothers, to the loving husband, his wife is his Mona Lisa. His wife is his Mona Lisa. And if I can say, if you've never heard Nat Cole's rendition of the song, I highly recommend it. It's my favorite. But he finds her to be priceless, and his view of her is captured well in Proverbs 31.10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And I know what some men are tempted to think right now. Yeah, but that's not my wife. My wife's not a Proverbs 31 woman. So, you, I'm excused. Oh, she may not be, but I wonder, is she being directed? Is she being died for? 
Is she being dedicated? Is she being developed? Because I can promise you, if she's not virtuous, that has more to do with it than you are willing to admit. No husband is called to play God, but we must protect and defend our wives. Brothers, listen, I, this is one thing that I've seen over the years, and, and I do marvel to, at a certain extent, because at the same time, listen, I, I get it. I, I can't be legalistic. I don't want to be legalistic, but, but I see so many wives at times who are just unprotected, left unprotected. Not, it's just they're kind of on their own. And, and listen, I assess the threat level of everything as it pertains to my wife. Every ministry opportunity, every relationship, every job, whatever it might be, what I want to know is that in the best interest of her relationship with God? If not, no. We're not doing that. I get it that you've been asked to be a part of this ministry thing or that ministry thing, but, but as we sit down and have a conversation, okay, that does sound great, but can we talk about this, 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 and this? Do we really have the capacity for you to take on this? Because my concern is, is three or four months into it, you will want to get out of it. When we were dating, uh, there was a, she had a male coworker who was very interested in her as he should have been. She's a fine, fine woman. But he crossed the line and was persistent in giving her attention that she did not want. And he was, it was, it was becoming harassment and stalking type behavior. We talked about it. I said, well, notify your manager. She did that. It continued. And then HR got involved and it, it continued. So I said, okay. So I took her to work one morning. And I walked her to her desk, and her desk was sitting like this. And I said, what door does he usually walk in from? She goes, that one right there. I said, okay. So I stood behind her, and I stood just like this. And when the door opened, sure enough, because he was becoming obsessed with my wife, his eyes went right to where she was. And what he saw was this. And I locked eyes on him, and I tracked him as he walked. I wanted him to know, if you continue in this direction, the least of your worries is going to be HR. This is done today. Done. And it was. The only thing he did was he went to a manager and said, hey, why is that guy in here? Well, but he didn't go to her. He got the message. Brothers, one of the core needs of a wife is security. It's one of her core needs. She needs provisional and physical security. That's a core need for her. If she is a one of a kind, she's irreplaceable, right? Listen, there's only one Lori Morgan. 
I can't go to Amazon and get another one. And no offense to any lady in the room, but I can't even go to Midtown and just grab a lorry. She's a a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable. And your wife, you must view her the same way. Your wife is your Mona Lisa, so guess what you do? You defend and protect her based on her worth, which to you is priceless. Your wife needs to feel safe and secure in every sense because of how you defend and protect her. Ephesians 5.31 For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The highest of earthly relationships is the marriage relationship. It's the highest. It's not the parent-child relationship. Uh, Let me warn some parents in the room. We're, We're going here very, very soon, but if you are treating the parent-child relationship as if it is the highest earthly relationship, you are positioning your marriage for great struggle. Children leave, spouses cleave. The marriage relationship is the only earthly relationship that involves cleaving. I love my kids. And I have a different relationship with my son versus my, my, my son, I mean... I don't know, last week I think it was, uh, I grabbed him and I hugged him and I kissed him. And I could tell it was just like, dude, bro, please, man. He didn't say anything, but I could just feel it. He was just like. <laughs> now, I tell him I love him. He said, we're good with that. But when he does it now, my, my Brie, oh. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cuddle parade there. And we hold hands in Walmart, we snuggle, we cuddle, or we kiss, or I kiss her. That doesn't clean that up, so sorry. You get my point. And it's kind of tearing my heart out, but I know she's leaving someday. I know it. I know it. You know what, fellas? The loving husband is devoted to his wife. He's devoted to her. His wife knows that she is in a relational category that is unmatched. She knows it. She does not feel like she has to compete with a parent or a person for earthly preeminence. She knows that she is in, I mean, a category of her own. There's her, and then there's everybody else. But devotion also means this. To the loving husband, the only acceptable options for separation are the rapture of the church or physical death. Those are the only acceptable options for any kind of separation. To the loving husband, devotion and divorce are as opposite as God and Satan. <laughs> Not, I mean, it, you can't even... Consider that. More than a few men would say that divorce is never an option, and that sounds biblically honorable. However, I do know that uh, more than a few men have daydreamed about what their life would have looked like 
if only they would have married fill in your blank. Or what would their life look like if they could marry fill in your blank? That's not a man who is devoted to his wife. And while he may say divorce is never an option, he's only kidding himself. Paul also said, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The loving husband is dissolved with his wife. He's dissolved with her. Every morning I take black coffee and I mix it with cream and sugar to form one cup of coffee, right? And it's interesting to see what that produces. Uh, the coffee is black, but the cream and the sugar is white, right? It's obvious. But once you mix them together, once everything dissolves, it's not black coffee anymore. Nor is it white cream and sugar. Everything is dissolved and blended to make one new color. That is one thing, and it's very pleasant, is it not? That's one of the most pleasant aspects of my morning. I was talking with these guys over here. I'm very particular about my mug. I have a, I have a few mugs, right? But the mug has got to fit. It's got, it can't just be any mug. It's got to be my mug, right? I've got a few mugs that just fit. I mean, it's, that, that, that's a simple but, but very pleasant part of my morning, as I'm sure it is for many of you. Listen, the loving husband is so one with his wife that to see him is to see his wife. In other words, you, you can't look at him, you can't deal with him without somewhere in your mind, you clearly see that you see his wife. Brothers, your female co-workers, neighbors, associates should not be able to see you and not see your wife. When they check you out on social media, it should be impossible for them to miss your wife. Brothers, there is not a phone call, a text message, an email that I can't open or receive at any given time in any given day in the presence of my wife. There isn't a time in my day where my wife has no idea where I am, who I'm with, and what I'm doing. I don't have a separate secret life that is off limits to her. I don't have compartments that she is not allowed to inquire about or walk, whatever it might be. This tells us, brothers, that the loving husband is not a stranger to his wife. He is not a stranger to his wife. A stranger is someone you do not know. The loving husband knows his wife, and his wife knows him. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, she is as much me as I am me. <laughs> Any more than a man is a stranger to himself, is he a stranger to his wife? Once the cream and the sugar are dissolved into the coffee, they are far from strangers, aren't they? They are mixed, they are dissolved, they are, I mean, they are as close and intimate as you could possibly be to form one solution. 
That's us. This is very simple, but we stumble over these things. What did Paul say? That I may know him. (laughs) Do you think Christ is a stranger to his bride? Do you think the church is trying to figure out where Christ is and what he's up to? No, he tells you, I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know where I am at all times. And you know my heart for you, you know my love for you, you you got it. Well, brothers, that's got to be us. Here's the issue, though. Here is the issue. A husband only becomes a stranger to his wife when he has something to hide. That's when a husband becomes a stranger to his wife is he has something to hide. That's when. That's when. After Adam and Eve sinned, they what? Hid themselves. A husband who keeps his wife at arm's length does so because if he allows her to get too close, she'll see the sin. So I've got to keep you at arm's length. I've got to be distant, and I've got to be evasive, and I've got to be somewhat mysterious, and I've got to... That's not a, that's not a loving husband. That's not a Christ-like man. That's a man who's got something to hide. Sadly, this is the painful reality for some wives, maybe in this room or watching online or listening at some point. They would love to talk with their husbands about what we've been talking about these weeks. they love to. As a matter of fact, they're waiting for him. But you know what he does? And I'm going to tell you, this, this, is, this is chilling. This is, I do mean this is, this is cold. And this is actually, brothers, this is, this is, this is torment to your wife because... Um, she's sitting in the same room you're sitting in and she's hearing what you're hearing, but this is what you do. You walk out of here and you get into your car and you just go about life as if you went deaf for two weeks. Oh, I didn't hear that. And you walk around the house like everything is every, okay and, and everything is not okay. But you're just going to shut her out and slam the door. And, well, catch this Kenny. He gets all excited about stuff, and he doesn't know anything anyway. You know, you might be right, but, but what, was there anything that the Word of God revealed to you that you might want to talk to her about? That's a man who's got something to hide. He does. And he just wants to keep on doing business as usual because at the end of the day, as I've learned, (laughs) everybody is all about things getting better as long as I don't have to change. Hmm. Well, you might want to get comfortable. Finally, back to Colossians 3.19, down the home stretch here. One of the things that I do treasure in marriage, I treasure the moments. And these are very intentional moments, husbands. 
And we have to drive these moments. If we're about these things that we look at, if we're about the snapshot of the loving husband, we absolutely must take the lead over the life of our marriage, over the lifetime of it. I take the lead to pursue her to talk honestly, openly, regularly about our marriage. And sometimes that is not always good for me because there are times where I have been, there are times where I am, and there will be times where I am wrong. That's okay. There have been times where I have thought something or I have, well, what, what does she mean by that? And what is she doing? With it? And, and then we sit down and, and again, hear me. This is how we approach conflict in our marriage. There is an issue to address, not a person to attack. So there's an issue. I'd like to talk with you about something that I've been struggling with, and it could be me. I could be off, but I want to hear from you to be sure. I'm sensing this. I'm wondering about that. Could you fill me in about this? And there have been times where I have been completely wrong in my assessment. And when God has made that clear as we discuss, not fought. Lori, I'm sorry. <laughs> I completely read that wrong. Please forgive me. And then five minutes later, we're laughing about something goofy. Brothers, we, we own that. Listen, I get my job. I understand who I am. I, I know I'm a pastor. And I get what comes with my territory. But let me just tell you this. If you did that, there would never be a reason for you and your wife to ever sit in front of me or any other pastor, for that matter, talk about your marriage. If you took the lead and said, okay, we're going to talk this out and we're going to work this out. I promise you, the stuff that you face in your marriage is the same stuff that we face. <laughs> same stuff. Just be a husband. Lead your wife. Work through it and get on with it. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. <sighs> be not bitter against them. What a, what a phrase. It might seem arbitrary, but it is anything but. If husbands are to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, well, the question we got to think about is, is, well, why did Christ have to do that? Well, he had to do that because he had to redeem his bride out of sin. Here we go, brothers. Every loving husband is married to a fallen wife. That's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. And this brings us to our second key area of focus, husbands, and that is long-suffering, which is to suffer long. This is why Paul said, and be not bitter against them. So I said that. Because you and I, 
are tempted to become bitter against people who what? Hurt us or disappoint us. That's when we're tempted with bitterness, correct? When they come short of our expectations. So like Christ, who is intimate with our many weaknesses, over time in marriage, you become very intimate with the weaknesses and blemishes of your wife, don't you? You know them all too well, don't you? I mean, one of the things that we always talk about in premarital counseling, we always make this point, marriage is the most graphic, earthly relationship that there is. No one hides, everything is exposed. I mean, it is up close and personal, is it not? We see it all, don't we? The good and the bad. And more than a few men over the years have chosen to become bitter against their wives. And they have this, and I listen, I'm, listen, I'm an open book. I remember it was at the five-year mark of our marriage, I was here. I, w- I, was, I was tempted with be- becoming bitter against her. And I, I quietly had this running list in my head. You know, my goodness, when is she going to get this together? When is she going to figure this out? I've, I've talked to her about this. What I actually, I lectured her about is what I actually did. That, that, that's what I, when I say I talked to her about it. I, I had five or six, you know, boy, she is, what's wrong with this woman? I'm going to tell you, boy, the Lord was not pleased with that. And I'll never forget how and when he dealt with me about her. I don't have time to get into it, but when the dust cleared, it was, I was fearful because what God made abundantly clear to me was, son, I care as much about how you think about her or how you think toward her as I do how you speak to her and how you treat her. If you're harboring that kind of spirit towards your wife, God says, that is not my heart toward her. So if that's your heart toward her, and that's different from my heart toward her, guess what that means? What that means is, can two walk together except they be agreed? God, you and I are not in agreement about Lori. And how I'm thinking about her in my heart is hurting my walk with you. Critical. I had to, that was tough. When a husband becomes bitter, his tone is sharp and cutting toward his wife. He is impatient and gets angry with her quickly and often. He is very critical of her. He despises her in his heart. He he takes on this negative, nasty, remorseful disposition. Why did I marry her? Man, if I could get out of this. Man, if I could go back, that is not Christ. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ saying to you, I wish I didn't die for you. 
I wish I didn't save you. I wish I didn't put my Holy Spirit. I wish I didn't give you my word. I wish I didn't give you eternal security. If I could divorce you into hell, I would. Christ would never think that. He neglects his wife. This type of husband is as far from Christ as a man could be. Let me give you a snapshot very quickly as time is fading of a long-suffering husband. Number one, he covers his wife's weaknesses with love. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know what that word multitude means? Large number. She's very imperfect, isn't she? Yes, she is, and so are you. Listen, charity covers it. It doesn't excuse it. It covers it. The issue is, is we love our wives regardless of their shortcomings, and their disappointments when they, not if, but when they come short. Sweetheart, love is never in question. The long-suffering husband is gentle and wise when delivering critique. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Be careful, brothers. She is delicate. You know when I learned this? I learned this when my wife was in Winthrop Hospital on Long Island, New York, giving birth to our son, where she is with everything in her trying to push this boy into the world, her body being ripped apart to do that, and she never shed a tear. Not one tear. Yet, as I thought, as the Holy Spirit showed me in that moment, now you think about this, son, because there have been times when you have raised your voice or you've been harsh in your tone, and what did she do? She cried. Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I'm a wimp when I have to get a shot. So here she is. I mean, her body is going through physical trauma. Not even a tear. She's delicate. Delicate. I can say something to my wife that will pierce her and hurt her ten times worse than giving birth to a child. Gentle and wise. Brothers, this is where we have and can do immense damage. It's because we did not honor this. Again, charity does not excuse sin. There are times when a husband must have a corrective discussion with his wife. The issue is, it must be infrequent, and it must be gentle and wise. If we are critiquing our wives often, listen, we're crushing them. If we are harsh in tone and speech, when we're doing it, we're crushing them. Listen, I've done this. God, 
thank you for your mercy and grace. But if we take an itemized approach, we're killing them. Itemized approach, that's when I have sat down and I've given her five things. But you know what? Uh, you, I have a problem with this. I got a problem with that. And this and that. <laughs> I'm doing my job as a husband. So over 45 to 60 minutes, I've given her five things that she needs to work on. And then wonder, wonder, how on earth could she have possibly heard that I think she's an awful Christian and an awful wife? I never said that. I didn't have to. <laughs> That's what she got out of me sitting down and giving her a tongue lashing for 45 to 60 minutes. She felt absolutely defeated and worthless. That's not wise. That's not wise. There is a way to provide critique without eviscerating them. You know what you want to be like, brothers? You want to be like the nurse who is able to administer a really a, a, a shot. Where when it's over, you're like, you're done? I barely felt that. Yes. You've got to learn how to deliver critique. He prays for his wife regarding her weaknesses. Brothers, if we are critiquing our wives more than we are praying for them, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to play the Holy Spirit. Do you know when I have observed true, lasting change in my wife? I have observed true, lasting change to the glory of God. I have observed her develop most in our marriage when I have prayed for her and trusted God to work in and through her to bring her into the woman that he desires for her to be for his glory. And I have taken a step back and said, you know what? I'm just going to keep coaching. I'm going to keep encouraging. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep serving. And then I've made peace with it with the Lord. And then what to me seems to be out of nowhere. Three, four months later, here she comes with tears in her eyes, confessing what the Holy Spirit of God has revealed to her in her quiet time, which happened to be the thing that I was praying about. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and it's not my job to change or fix my wife. I can't do that. Last but not least, he endures her weaknesses. The scriptures say that God winked at sin, Acts 17.30. God was not blind to the sin. His long-suffering simply allowed him to endure it without implementing punishment. Brothers, there are times when we must endure their weaknesses until they repent. But understand this, repentance is always God's business, not mine. I can't force anyone to repent. If we are in the ear of our wives every time they come short, we're not long-suffering. Give God time, give God space to work out what he needs to work out in your wife, 
his time, his way. Lord, we've looked at so much. I do pray that as husbands, we would not make excuses and divorce ourselves from this, but that, God, we would man up and respond properly. In Jesus' name, amen.